Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Let's talk some Celtics, John, okay? Let's do it. Uh, I know you've been on this bandwagon, and a lot of us are, and I think everybody is now. They are a fun team to watch. Last night is the latest example. They slugged through for three and a half quarters against an inferior Knicks team that was hitting a bunch of threes. Um, They ended up with a furious comeback, led by their defense, and led by Isaiah Thomas. Whatever, I think we get so focused, and it's good on sports radio, and it's good in a barroom conversation about what the future of the Celtic is, what Danny's going to do, what's he going to do with all these chips, who's the next Messiah to come here. But I think a lot of people get lost in the discussion. When they get into the discussion about what the Celtics will become, they get lost about what this team is right now. So let's talk about what this team is. They're a team that's worth your attention. And a lot of Boston teams aren't. And when I say worth your attention, I mean your time spent watching them. In our business, your time spent following them. If you're a fan, the investment you make to go to games, if you do, or to watch them on TV, or to talk about them, or to be in your conscious. I don't know if the Celtics are back in people's conscious because they're still playing with a lot of house money, but they should be. 13 home wins in a row. Here's some other facts for you. For as good as this team is defensively, and I want to get into discussion with you about that, and they are, they're only 13th in the league overall as far as points given up defensively. Offensively, they're fourth in the NBA. The wow. own, the own, that's right. Tommy. They're going to call that a hard foul. Wow. Love Tommy. Uh. I am the biggest unabashed Tommy lover. Um, here's the thing. The only teams better than them offensively as far as points scored are – the Golden State Warriors, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and your Sacramento Kings with some guy at point guard leading the league in assists. However, the Sacramento Kings actually give up two more points a game than they score. Yeah! This, this is a very good offensive basketball team. It really is. Yeah, and I mean, you have to look at how they're leading the league in score or fourth in the league in scoring. It's not on their great shooting abilities. They're 22nd in the league in shooting. They're first in the league in shots attempted. And so what does that tell you? It tells you two things. One, they play tenacious defense, and they're able to score in transition a lot, so they're scoring quick buckets. The other thing it tells you, they don't don't play play hero ball. They don't play isolation ball. Their offense is whoever's open shoots it, and that's so rare in today's NBA. And look at last night's game, the way they came back. And I know you mentioned off the air the Evan Turner play, which you can get to in a second. It's a great play, you know. Steal the ball, save it from going inbounds. Touchdown Sollinger pass throws from a touchdown, Sollinger. Yeah. yeah, but they had a play, I think, in the last 20 seconds, and I might be mixing all these up now, where inbound play, they were down one. Avery Bradley gets the ball, drives to the hoop, and yep, scores. That was a game-winning hoop. Was Okay, I was trying to remember if that was yeah, a game-winning game hoop, game winning hoop yep. or if they scored after that and then they had to score No, there again. was 21 so, yeah. seconds left. Yeah. He drove in and scored, and then Carmelo had the one last shot. Okay, so – he drives in and scores. How many teams would run that play, would run a play like that? Any, If the Knicks had the ball in that situation, Mello pounds the ball yep. until there's two seconds left, and then he hurries a shot. And so look at how the last five possessions for each team went. 
down the stretch in that game. Hero ball for the Knicks. Celtics scoring in transition off their defense and with whoever's open. Well, so Brad Stevens, among other things, is sort of debunking the NBA myths. The NBA myths are just like in football where it's, you know, run defense and the run game, right? Um, Just like in baseball, it's strong up the middle. There's still truth to some of those things. In basketball, it's like, well, you need go-to guys and you need a pecking order. To your point, and you also need an eight-man rotation. That is bogus! He's got, that's a great one. I never heard that one from Tommy. I thought that was going to be the BS. Remember that one with Jordan and Rick Pitino's first can I hear game? That? Can I, yes. Can I hear that one from Tommy again? That is, that is bogus! That's he was almost, talking about Tim Bogut. That's almost as fun as Tommy last night. You walk by the TV and you hear Tommy say things like about certain referees. That guy! Like, that's all he'll say. Yeah, or it'll be, come on, Violet. <laughs> Violet. But so they debunk these myths. They don't have a go-to guy or a rotation of go-to guys. It's sort of closer by committee Yeah, with the Celtics. And then when it comes to the eight-man rotation, no. I mean, Brad Stevens has developed a roster and it's movable parts, and I know part of this is that they don't have those go-to guys, that guys are going to demand minutes by their effort and their performance. And it's so true the way they do that. I mean, last night the most encouraging thing I heard after the game was um, I think it was Chris Mannix who was interviewing uh, Isaiah Thomas and asked him, hey, for three quarters the Knicks shot lights out and you guys had struggled on offense. Why did you struggle so much? His answer was because we didn't play defense. Yeah. I mean, that this team buys into that. They're, they're in every single game because they'll out-hustle anybody. I'm very intrigued by tonight's game for a lot of reasons. I fully expect LeBron James to come out from what happened the last game. And, by the way, LeBron is as healthy as he's been in a while. He had a triple-double last night. I expect him to come out and really come out with a vengeance. He does love playing against the Celtics, and I expect them to get blown out tonight. But then again, I can't say that because the Celtics don't get blown out because even if they are getting blown out, they'll come back and make it a game. Yeah, what are they? I think they're like 4-0 in their last four games trailing by 11 or more points. I mean, yeah. that's, that's not supposed to happen. Now, I think the one issue with them that is fair to bring up is come postseason time, can you keep winning without a go-to guy because the game slows down. When the game is back and forth and up and down, you're able to, to you know, Jay Crowder can break away for a layup or a dunk or something like that. What about when Cleveland, when LeBron is dominating the ball and it turns into that slog that you were talking about earlier? This is stupid! Yeah, when the game turns stupid, uh, can you then score and find ways to win? Because we saw last year in the first round, Isaiah Thomas really got swallowed up pretty significantly by the Cavs. Well, there's your answer. Like it or not, the reality is that Isaiah Thomas is your go-to guy. So I'll give you two answers to that. He is probably going to get swallowed up again. However, I firmly believe that Brad Stevens is a good enough coach that he's going to learn from that experience and find ways to help him not get swallowed up. What does that mean? Well, credit to both Stevens and Isaiah Thomas. His game has evolved. He's become a better player. Good example last night with three minutes to go, he did a tiny Archibald uh, drive yep. down that got that whole comeback started. He he got the ball on a rebound and was in the hoop scoring within like two seconds. And in between like three guys too. Like Isaiah Thomas doesn't know that he's that short. That's yep. the biggest compliment you can give that guy. So you're right. In a playoff series, I mean, again, this to me, this is the fun part about it. I'm really looking forward to the first playoff series and them winning a series and just putting a notch in their belt. As Bill Parcells used to say, a trapper gets furs, putting a fur over their shoulder and moving on to the next challenge and see what they do. 
it, it, to me, it's still all house money. If they lose first-round playoff series or the way this season has gone well, I don't know if it's a step back, but I'm expecting them to win a playoff series. Yeah, and, and honestly, if they win a playoff series, it's been a, it's a successful year. It's a good year. I don't care what happens after that because two years ago, this team looked like it was dead in the water and was going to stay that way potentially for two decades. And now here we are with, yeah, they're not a championship team. So what? Nobody is as long as Golden State is in the league. But the fact is, is they're wildly entertaining every single night. 617-779-7937. Interested in your thoughts about Celtics playing the Cavs tonight. Maybe tomorrow morning you'll talk more about it because we'll have the game to talk about. But taking on LeBron in Cleveland, will we be talking about the Celtics getting blown out in Cleveland and, uh, you know, that being the realistic, uh, the reality that they're just not that good? Or will they have their latest game where they'll fight, 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 fight till the end? And we'll see what they do. Yeah, and um, I mean, think about it. Cleveland is like the anti-Boston right now. They're a star-studded team that is not playing together, and there's all kinds of questions about them. The Celtics are the exact opposite. They're playing so far beyond the sum of their parts. As Mike Gorman said last night, you got to love this team. Yeah. Um, and I hate everything. You know this. I know this. Let's move on to the Red Sox. I want to talk about their defense in general, and I want to point to the three specific plays against the Rays yesterday. Number one. Evan Longoria lines a shot to third, and Pablo Sandoval makes a major league defensive play yeah, and dives. Some. I said last night on the Fox 25 Sportscast, that's the type of nimbleness you get with 17% body fat. Yeah, that's There's no right. doubt about yep. it. Uh, but no, He's I, like T.O. I think when you look at that with Pablo, just like on day one when he showed up at spring training, perception is reality. So let's go by the perception of that. Guy is not a horrible defensive player at third base, is he? He was last year. He was last year because he had zero range, and so the play you're talking about where he's able to actually get off the ground and move and get a ball, that's a play he was not making last year. And you're right. Before this year, I mean, he was never going to be a gold glover or anything, but he was a solid average defensive third baseman, which you can live with. He was not that guy last year. If he can keep taking steps and build off what he did yesterday, you might have something. So now let's go to the other side of the diamond. Hanley Ramirez hasn't had many signature plays at first base yet. However, in a 7-2 game uh, yesterday in the late innings, Tim Beckham hits a line shot to short, a one-hopper that Xander Bogarts reminds us how good he's become defensively. That's the backhanded play, yep. Jeter-type Ole play, but again, it's not an Ole because he makes it. He, he rushes the throw to first, and he throws a one-hopper to first. If you watch the play, Hanley Ramirez does not make the scoop that he needed to make. Here's the problem I have with it. We all know this, John. What it smacks of is that Hanley's not putting in the work when you watch it. He didn't look right the way he went after that scoop. And to me, that's one of those things that you go on the backfield and you're taking scoop after scoop after scoop after scoop. And you got Brian Butterfield and others giving you advice on the best way to do it. Hanley is a guy who made his bones in the infield, has good hands, has good instincts at times. But on that one, to me, as soon as I saw it, I was like, there's your perfect example of it costing them. It's a spring training game. I don't know how much it cost them. Yeah. But him, he's just not putting the work in with that. He went after that the wrong way. Yeah. Now, I, I so I agree with you having been down there. Like, Hanley was doing his work, but I don't think he was going above and beyond. He was doing what was necessary. But I, he wasn't doing Mike Napoli. He wasn't out there super early every day, all of this. I do feel like, in fairness, we need to give him a little bit of time. It's, you know, first, like, real game, basically, that he's played other than against the college kids. So you got to give him a little time to make that play. 
The one thing that a lot of us have noticed is he has this annoying habit where he tries to snap. Like you talked about the Jeter Olay. Yeah. He tries to snap every pick that he makes in the dirt. He's always right. snapping his glove. And it's like, just catch the ball. You don't need right. no, no style points required. So I don't know if that was part of what was going on with that play. But let's give him a little time to at least get game speed, game reps with those kind of balls. Because let's not forget, he is learning this position. And also, I only got a short highlight package, but in the highlight package that we got at the station last night, they did have a cutaway of Hanley coming up to Bogarts afterwards yep. and tapping him in kind of an animated conversation. Not angry or whatever, but Bogarts just kind of nodding his head. But with the body language I saw there, to me, you know, if I had to take a leap, it's Hanley saying, hey, I'll get that for you, or whatever he's talking about. I mean, Hanley knows shortstop. Yeah. He knows what Bogars went through with that. But yep. the bottom line is he didn't come up with the play. And an infielder loves when a guy – I mean, how much confidence did Mike Napoli build in his teammates by saving their butts at times with plays that he made? Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's uh, a Steven huge Drew. Thing. Yep. Steven Drew. How many scoops did Mike Napoli make for Steven Drew? Yeah, although Steven Drew, he hit everybody in the chest. That was his thing. His yeah, throws that's were true. right in the chest. But but I get what you're saying, and it's true. And I'll you know what? I'll give Hanley points for reaching out to Bogarts and not laughing it off, but saying whatever he said. We don't know. But I'm sure it was something along the lines of I'll get the next one. So I want to go to one other defensive play, which is whatever. Deep ball to center field. Um and it, when you watch the highlights of Jet Blue, and you and I have been there, a lot of people have. It's hard when you look at the highlights because it looks exactly like Fenway. Until you see the wall is too tall. Then you're like, wait, this doesn't look right. I'm in some bizarro Fenway. But a ball to center field, Jackie and Mookie go to where some outfielders might collide. And again, I'm reading way too much into this. But what I liked about it, Mookie in right field, not in center, calls him off. It's the center fielder's ball usually. Gets the ball. Jackie defers to him. He makes a hard catch look effortless. And, oh, by the way, opens the bullpen door for the next reliever to yep. come out along the way for style points yeah, yeah. to do it. But, again, reading way too much into this. But early on, what a good sign for the two of them. Because, again, he's playing right field now. I mean, we look at Mookie, and I think we're going to look back years from now, and the, the, le- the stories are going to become legend about how good a baseball player this guy is, how good an athlete he is, how he started as a second baseman, how he came from nowhere, and all that he did. Again, I'm reading way too much into this, but that's an instinctive good play and a good sign for the Red Sox defensively. Yeah, and I would take it not so much that you know it's good that they didn't collide with each other and it's good they called them off, but just think of the range they're going to have out there this year. They're going to have, as long as Jackie Bradley hits, which so far he's done, which is a good sign in its own right, but you have those two guys patrolling really more than two-thirds of the Fenway outfield because left field is smaller, you're in pretty good shape. And that is going to, you know, we talked about what hurt the pitching staff last year getting off to a slow start. Lack of range in the outfield killed them, you know, especially in left field with Hanley not making any plays. They're not going to have that problem. So if Rick Porcello gives up a ball to the triangle and Jackie Bradley runs it Mm -hmm. down, it's not a two-run triple. Now it's an F8. I think that's hugely important and shouldn't be underestimated. 617-779-7937. John Tomasi, Butch Stearns, we're here till the top of the hour. Join us if you'd like. A couple other notes from the Red Sox today. David Price threw 38 pitches over two innings in a simulated game with maybe three simulated Ks per Ian Brown. What's that quote? Maybe three simulated Ks? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 very – there's no um, – I don't even know who's umpiring. It's hard to say. They just – they get their work in. A sim game is not a real game. So, like, if he's facing Hanley Ramirez and it was strike three, Hanley says, no, I'm going to stay up here for yeah, another strike. throw me another one. <laughs> 
Uh, also, Dave Dombrowski commented on John Farrell's story, quote, saying it is a personal matter and said it would not affect Farrell's job status. Interesting. Interesting that he even went there as far as that word goes, job status. Uh, that's, you had uh, to figure- that sort of reeks a little bit of like we have complete confidence in our coach who gets fired like three days later. Hmm. Let's go to the calls. Actually, let's take a quick break. Bill in Worcester and Rich in Providence. You guys are up next as soon as we come back. It's Butch, John Tomasi, WEEI. Well, it's point two on the shot clock, so uh, nothing's going to happen here unless it's the, the best tip in play of the century. Well, here we go. Tommy and Mike are so good together. So good. Aren't they? They've been doing it since 1981. Really. I mean, it's just, they're just so good together. Mike's got so much respect for Tommy. And and, uh, even when Tommy goes so far over the top. By the way, did you hear Larry Johnson in the last hour? Saying, I heard you know, most of it. But did you hear Larry say, well, Tommy's actually been objective lately. I'm like, what? are you kidding yeah, no, me? <laughs> no. no. Although you'll remember this. You were saying off air that you were, you were a runner for him when he was at CBS. Yeah, I worked for CBS in the 80s and uh, when Tommy worked with Brent Musburger. Yeah, when I watched those broadcasts as a kid, as a Celtics homer, I remember thinking like, this guy Heinsohn played for the Celtics. Why does he hate the Celtics so much? All oh. my friends thought that Heinsohn hated the Celtics. You should have absolutely You should have seen what L.A. fans thought about him. Oh, yeah. During that time. No social media, no internet back then. God. You have to find the one you have to find, and I don't know if you can. This would be a challenge for Ken Laird. Rick Pitino's first game with the Celtics against the Bulls. They win. They beat Michael Jordan. Yeah. yeah. Antoine Walker's doing the wiggle. The whole place going crazy. Late in the game, Jordan, the greatest player in NBA history, drives baseline and gets fouled, maybe a little bit of a ticky-tack foul. And Tommy, who was worked up into a frenzy at that point, yelled, that's bull, bleep, and said it on the air, like swore on the air. And Mike Gorman, there was just like a pause. That is bogus! Not bogus, close. And so I waited up to watch the rebroadcast, and they bleeped it out. My first memories of Tommy are the John Havlicek years when he coached in the 70s. I was a teenager. And I used to take the train into the garden. And that finals in 74, that's when I first fell in love with the Celtics. They played the Milwaukee Bucks with a team with Oscar Robertson, Bobby Dandridge, and then Lou Alcindor. And they beat them in the NBA finals. And it was and that team with JoJo White and Don Chaney and Paul Silas and John Havlicek. And then 76, they had the memorable triple overtime game against the Suns. But Tommy as a coach. Has over six. He has a six nineteen winning percentage. I mean, Tommy. People that that are in their twenties and think that Tommy's just a crazy guy that yells. Take a good look at what Tommy really is. I mean, he's he's remarkable in his history with yeah. the Celtics. Hall of Fame player, Hall of Fame coach, yep. Hall of Fame homer, Hall of Fame broadcast. <laughs> he is a Hall of Fame <laughs> homer. Let's go to Bill in Wooster. Hello, Bill. Hi guys. <clears throat> I can't believe that you two guys, the Tommy Einson supporters, he is pathetic. Why? You know that he got he, he was such a great coach at the Celtics, he got fired by Red Alback. You know that, of course. <laughs> yes. Because he kept yelling and screaming. I saw Tommy Heinsohn play at Holy Cross. Yep. He was a great player. 
He was a crybaby. I saw him <laughs> play for the Celtics. He was a great player. He was a crybaby. And I saw him coach the Celtics, and he could have been a great coach, but he was a crybaby. He was a great coach. He, he was a Bill, great, Bill, he, he was a great coach. He's in the Hall of Fame. He won two championships. He was a great yeah. coach. Why did he get fired, Butch? I don't know why he got fired. I don't remember why he got fired. All coaches get fired. Yeah. No, he got fired because he couldn't control himself. He kept screaming and yelling at the official. He's a disgrace. Well, he found a good outlet for that, screaming and yelling. Bill, you're a Worcester guy. How can you not like Tommy? And I love the Celtics. And I love the And I love Mike Garman. I think Mike Garman is from. I feel sorry for Mike Garman having to put up with Heisen. You know what? He made a statement last week that the. I think the NBA sent out a directive that you can't call a foul when Isaiah Thomas drives. Of course. He's a Celtics homer. John said it. He's a Hall of Fame homer. He shouldn't be doing the color. Why? He's not prepared. Uh, Isaiah Thomas went right by the man. He doesn't know who the man is. He doesn't know the the He doesn't need to. The guy's not wearing green. He thinks he just has to come butch and uh, I can't stand Heinsohn. Why, I Bill? Where, I, Bill, where does this come from? Where does this come from? I just since I saw him playing it. So you'd rather have Brian Scalabrini talking baby. to you? He doesn't like the crybaby aspect of it. I don't like the crybaby. I right. like a guy that's got class. Like you two guys have class. I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> there we go. Kill us with kindness. What else is on your mind? You had something else you wanted to talk about. Hanley Ramirez. Hanley Ramirez is a bum. He's got a terrible oh, attitude. Wow. He's a dog. And no matter what team he's played for, they've got rid of him. And I learned early in my coaching career, if a guy's got a bad attitude, you're better off without him. And I know that they can't unload him, but I would sit him down and play Travis Shaw. Hanley Ramirez is a disgrace. Well, it's interesting you say that because, uh, John, I am interested to see how early in the season um, and when, if they do replace him defensively at first base with Travis Shaw. You mean in the late innings? Yeah. Yeah, I think that'll I th- I think that'll happen a little bit, but it may not be when you think. It may be we're blowing somebody out and we're going to give Hanley a rest because they know he, you got to manage his potential for injuries. I think it'll be more that than Hanley is such a butcher we need to get him out of here because we might lose. That's five Tommy points. There you go. Five Tommy Thank points you. for Thank Bill you, and Worcester. Let's go to uh, Rich in Providence. Hi Rich. How you doing guys? Good. Good. Um do you think, in retrospect, they? Uh, I want to touch upon the Celtics and the Bruins, but uh, I also want to touch about the Red Sox, if I may. Don't you think, in retrospect, they sh- really should have gone after uh, Donaldson instead of uh, Pablo? Well, it doesn't make them unique. Every team should have went after Donaldson. Yeah, they. I mean, they were caught. They definitely were caught a little bit unawares on that one, and you know that's on the previous regime. If a guy like that is available. And they certainly would have had the pieces to acquire him, and they whiffed. Yeah, yeah and, and, and I mean, isn't that an obvious one, Rich? Isn't it easy to look at the season he had in Toronto and what he's become and say, well, yeah, everybody should have went after Donaldson. Right, yeah. Um, as far as that Celtics draft pick this June, say it's the third pick or the fourth pick, is this going to be an impact guy that can come in like a McHale, like, you know, off the bench as a sixth man or whatever? By all accounts, no. By all accounts. But again, here's the fun part about it or the intriguing part about it. This is a two-player draft. And by the way, keep looking at the mock drafts on a weekly basis and you're starting to see Brandon Ingram go ahead of Ben Simmons in some of them. So 
for whatever that's worth, it's Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram, and then there's a drop-off between Dragon Bender and Jalen Brown and the Oklahoma kid, and even Chris Dunn is up there, and others, the Kentucky kids dropping. Um, but So if it's beyond too rich, who knows? But then again, that makes this the intrigue. I mean, go back to how many drafts were, you know, again, Steph Curry was seventh. Paul Pierce was ninth. Excuse me, uh, Paul Pierce was tenth, and uh, Dirk Nowitzki was ninth. So, when you say if they're going to be three or below, is it going to be an impact player? Who knows? Yeah, and when you talk about like a guy like McHale, let's not forget four years of college in Minnesota. Those guys were more right. ready to come in and play a meaningful role. These kids now, you're coming in at age twenty. It's a little different. So, what's your point? If if Brooklyn keeps winning and the odds get lower that it's going to be third or fourth, you might be more willing to trade the pick before well, the lottery. I was wondering is is Danny going to parlay this pick and maybe something else? I mean, do you guys really want to see Al Horford over here? I, I you know I'm not too crazy about him, but what do you think of him? I like Al, Al Horford. Horford as a player, but I'm kind of with you as a max contract guy, heading into his 30s, who's had weird injuries, tearing his pectoral multiple times. Yeah, there's part of me that says, yeah, he'd be a good fit here, but is he worth – you You only have two, probably two of those max slots. Are you going to use one of them on him? Look, uh, giving all credit where it's due to Felger and Maz, my feeder uh, firmly planted on Planet Delusia. I don't, I don't know those names. Planet Delusia because I am uh, – I'm still saying why not think about Kevin Durant. So when I think about Al Horford, again, these are all pieces. These are all chips. Like the Garnett thing, I'm only getting one of those guys if it's part of a bigger picture. Planet Delusia just, like, kicked you off the planet for being too delusional. Why? Because Why is no that chance. delusional? What, that you're going to get – that you're going to – how are you going to get him? You're going to sign him in free agency? Yeah. It's not happening. Why not? Because why would he come here? Why wouldn't you? What? Why wouldn't you? Because yeah. there's no other stars, and that's not how the NBA works. But that's now. my point. You All mentioned the stars go together. Rich mentioned Al Horford. I just Al said that. Not I'm not bringing Al Horford here, unless or somebody like him, unless it's part of a bigger picture. So for you're the Kevin other guy. Durant, and you say I have two choices: I can go join Steph Curry and the greatest team in NBA history. Yeah, I get or it. Or I can go to Boston with this guy Al Horford, who you got to see the way he rotates on defense. It's great. John, I, I want to play with that guy. I just love it when we get into the Kevin Durant discussion. Every but he says there's no way it's going to happen. There is no way it's going to happen. Okay, well, we said that about a million other things in Boston like sports, and they did. Like uh, like Kevin uh, Garnett. You know, they, did they, anyone say that's never going to happen? No, I mean, but they, what we said was if they don't get the first or second pick, they're screwed. And what ended up happening is they won championship and went to the NBA Finals two out of the next four they did. years. I would argue trading for a guy is a little bit different than signing him in free agency when he can go anywhere he wants. Patrick is in New Market, New Hampshire. Hello, Patrick. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Um, so I do agree with you that the Celtics, they don't have like that traditional go-to guy, um, you know, that top 10 player in the league. Um, but the five they rolled out last night uh, in the fourth quarter with like under two minutes where it was uh, Bradley, uh, Crowder, Thomas, Turner, and Turner. I mean, that's a pretty formidable five. And um, any five of those guys can shoot from any, really any, they can all get to the basket. They can all shoot jump shots and they, they can all shoot the three. Well, I mean, Turner and Turner and and. Sullinger can't. So, Patrick, are you making the point? Are you are you making the point that uh, they don't need a go-to guy? Well, no, I won't say that. I just think that uh, with those five guys, like you have a variety of options there that can make the ball. I mean, they've all hit game-winning shots this year. 
Um, I, you know, I agree. You don't have that one guy, but I think they'll fare better in the playoffs than they did last year, just because I think there's just all those guys. All those guys have grown, and all every single five, every single one of those five um, can certainly make make a shot in crunch. So let me make an unfair comparison. When the '86 Celtics or '80 Celtics had Bird, McHale, Parrish, Ainge, and DJ on the floor, I would make a similar argument that I'd be comfortable with any one of them taking the final shot because as bad as DJ's shooting percentage was, if the game was on the line, I had pretty confidence. Just like John Valentin I used to. I didn't care what his average was. If there was a guy on second, I felt like he was going to get the guy in. But that said, Bird was getting the ball. And I know that's unfair. Because it's Larry Bird, but Bird was getting the ball. Before that, Havlicek was getting the ball. Um, after that, Paul Pierce was getting the ball. It's just the way it was. Are you saying that you don't need that in the NBA to win now? Well, I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about the Celtics specifically, and if the defenses are all going to key in on Isaiah in the fourth quarter, the final two minutes, uh, Turner, Crowder, Bradley, and even Sullinger, all, all those guys are capable of, of making baskets. Well, let's give John Tomasi credit. You brought this up, John. Let's see in a playoff series. Right. I think yeah, you, I mean, we might change our tune in a playoff maybe, series. Maybe, but, I mean, it's still fun to watch. I mean, look at last night. So you had Isaiah started it with a drive to the hoop. Yep. You had two home runs to Crowder. You had the play we talked about with Bradley, the drive to the hoop, the layup. You had a drive-in dish to Sullinger for a layup. You had Evan Turner pulling up at the elbow. And for by a the shot. way, the Evan Turner pull up was the most intriguing one to me for a lot of reasons. A, it gave them their first lead. Yep. B, Turner took the rebound, came up, and there was no doubt in his mind that he was shooting it. He fed off of the crowd. He hit that jumper. Yep. So, again, you can overstate this. He wanted that shot, and he made it. And he's hit a bunch of – I mean, he has hit a bunch of those shots. He was the second pick in the draft. You don't want him shooting threes. He's not a good three-point shooter. He's not really a good outside shooter. But 15 feet in, he has his spots on the floor, those elbow-to-elbow. He's he's dangerous, and he's not afraid to take those shots. He's got that weird, funky kind of fall-away-looking thing that he takes. He can get to the hoop. Fun player on a fun team. John Tomasi, Butch Stearns, final segment after this. Can he stare at the guy? Apparently not. Is that, is that against the rules now, staring? Apparently. I don't like that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.